It's hard to feel free when the world is crashing down around us and we're shut up in our homes practicing social distancing. But you don't have to feel trapped. You can write your way to freedom. Welcome to the Right Away Podcast. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Right Away Podcast. It's February 17th, 2022 as we're recording this. I'm Chris Kane with my co-host, JP Reinflush. <laughs> I did want to thank our newest patron member, Mary Van Everbrook. Thank you so much, Mary, for listening to the podcast and for joining us on Patreon. Yes, thank you. Oh, JP, how has your week been? So I think, hasn't it been two weeks weeks? because of book book club? It's crazy. So yeah, I was in the Zarks, the Ozarks. Um, And I had a pretty productive two weeks and I am done with the edits to go to the dev edit or diagnostic edit for book three. And I am like 50% through the very quick edits to get to our copywriter. Right now I'm just going through old comments, but yeah, it's going very quickly. I, I've been doing a lot more client work the last couple of weeks. One of the things I've been doing differently since I got back from my whirlwind trip to New York is when I did that, I gave myself permission to buy some hobby things. And I have not allowed myself any hobby other than like gardening. Cause that's very low maintenance once it's up and going for five entire years, five years of writing. It has been all writing all the time. And then the necessities of life. Mm-hmm. reading was my hobby that was it <laughs> um and I gave myself permission as and there's there's a lot of reasons like why my brain was kind of ready for this because I've known for a while that my energy is drained because I have not been allowing myself external hobbies because I've always been multi-passionate and just loved creating things so I allowed myself to buy some crocheting supplies and some sewing supplies and after our health conversation in the author success mastermind a couple weekends ago, maybe it was last weekend. Mm -hmm. I returned to doing a timer, a Pomodoro timer, because I realized that the time that I felt most happy with my progress every day was when I was doing regular timers. And I'm, often don't do a 25 minute Pomodoro. I really like 10 minutes. Um, Mm -hmm. 10 minutes seems when I'm feeling really overwhelmed, 10 minutes seems really manageable to me most of the time. Sometimes I go as low as five minutes and I work for that amount of time and then I'm I'm good. And I think one of the reasons that is, is that I'm just very aware of where I'm putting my time when I do that versus the day just like passing me by as I try to get into like a deep state and sometimes succeeding, sometimes not, but then the day's gone regardless. Yep. Yeah. I 100% agree with that sentiment of having those like breaks. And that was a really good talk because it validated that opinion of mine, just because like it breaks up the day. It makes you realize like how your day is progressing, but then it also includes moments of movement. And like, I don't, I do get this sometimes with writing, but not as long, but with art, sometimes I will sit in the same position for eight hours I am not yes. kidding. Yes, and then I've I will move. 
and it ow, hurts. Ow. <laughs> You're like, I'm starving. I'm dehydrated. I have to pee like a mother. Yeah. And and my entire body hurts. <laughs> mm-hmm. And like if like, I don't know if I would actually listen to the Pomodoros when I do art, but if I did, uh, then I would be able to, one, realize that the day just doesn't vanish into artwork, or two, that I'm actually caring for the physical body that I'm in, because, yes. yeah, it's some rough uh, realizing that I've spent too long in one position. The meat suit is ours to take care of, not ours to command, necessarily. True story. But yeah, so between the Pomodoros, one, I've been trying to move more to prevent that pain, but two, I've also been like putting time onto those hobbies. And I think one of the things that I'm really liking about the the hobbies that I've allowed back in my life, which are sewing and crocheting, is that they have visual success markers of completion. Another thing I've been doing is I've been playing video games with my kid, which we love, and we've been completing them, but there's no visual success marker that kind of sits with you and stays with you after you complete a game. And so you don't feel the success as much. But when I crocheted him a cardigan and when I made it, sewed him some pants, like I have visual success markers. He wears them. I see them. I feel joy every time I see them. So I'm really enjoying adding that back into my life. And I think it's actually helping me with my, with my writing life. One, because success breeds motivation and that can cross over. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be success in this one thing breeds motivation only in that thing. Like it can bleed over into any part of your life, but it also just gives me more of that well-filling so that when I come to the work, I have more to draw from. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I have three, like a huge plastic bin full of yarn that I got from Goodwill for like $5 and it was an incredulous amount of yarn. Yeah. Because I was like, I had huge crocheting dreams that's going to stay over there for now, but that's definitely something I want to come back to. And your cardigan that you made your son, it's adorable. Yeah. It's, it's a very JP color cardigan. Mm -hmm. For sure. Yeah. I actually like thought of you as as negative. Like mm, if this were like five times right. larger, JP would look great in it. <laughs> Good. Good. As is, it could fit on so, your foot. Perfect. I do want to note, you also are in the progress of process of making something uh, for your family or yourself. I don't know, but it's a coffee table book. Oh, oh yeah. So <laughs> I did forget about Yay, this. We I got like, there. It's like, I was like, what, what am I making? I don't understand. I'm thinking like hand goods. But yeah. So when I was in New York, my aunt shared with me my great grandmother's travel journal from 1925 when she went from New York to Washington. I think they dropped down to Mexico and it's falling apart. A couple pages already torn and missing, but I took pictures of every single page and there's a cute little photograph of them in there with their model T and I'm putting it into a little coffee table book for my family. I'm doing one, one journal entry a day and I'm doing a few things. One, I'm reading, I'm translating from old timey cursive into words most people can read. I am reading that day's entry uh, aloud on TikTok. I, and then I am looking for a historical reference that I can add a little educational like bit into the book. And so for like day one, um, 
they stopped at a, a free travel camp. And I was like, what's a free travel camp? So I researched it. And it turned out that, that these are camps that cities and towns would create to draw people at like, you know, the newly mobile public were buying cars to their towns and you could stay for free and set up your tent. And that's what they did. I could talk about that forever, but I have a topic that I want to rant on and have yes. been promising at least us. I don't know if we've mentioned it to the community at large, but I've been promising you and I that I would rant on Maslow's hierarchy for quite some time. So I don't know if we'll have a question title for this episode because this is really just a full on rant with some directions to go. But my belief is that Maslow's hierarchy of needs is faulty and we shouldn't use it as authors to create characters. That's my I'm cool armature right there. I'm cool with it. Honestly, like I didn't really know much about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, being that it's a, a pyramid with the base level of, you know, this need for survival on this top level of self-actualization. Approaching it without knowing anything about it or any of the history about it, it just seems like an easy, straightforward writing tool to consider. But yeah, no, you shared several links with me and, and I don't disagree with you, but let's get into it. Yes. And I will probably get long-winded. So please feel free to interrupt me with Absolutely thoughts not. and questions. No. Um, so, okay. So if you're not familiar with Maslow's hierarchy, JP gave the level zero. So level one, mm -hmm. a little bit more information um, is it is a pyramid. And Maslow said that like the bottom level, the first level is like what humans need to satisfy the needs they need to satisfy before they can even consider like the next level. And he listed it as cycle, uh, no, physiological needs. So like food, sleep, I think he even put sex there Two above that safety needs shelter. You have your items that you own secure, et cetera. Three love and belonging. So you, you have intimacy, connection, force, esteem, and then five self-actualization and, um, Self-actualization, he defined as um, becoming more of who you're meant to be or your best self kind of thing. So there's some problems with this because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read some, the, part of this is a list of questions that came from an article that I will put in the show notes and some of them are, are ones I created. But first, like one of my first thoughts is, okay, where do political or religious self-sacrifices like self-immolation of bombers fall when they're placing like... Uh, esteem or what they view as self-actualization or even love and belonging like that connection to their uh, community above their physiological and safety needs like that doesn't track mm -hmm. like it doesn't cover that circumstance Maslow would have said that creativity is part of self-actualization so posing the question then do poor people who do not have necessarily physiological and safety needs lack the capacity for creativity or self-pride I think we can I say that's a absolute no like absolutely not like creative be like being poor requires a lot of creativity you're always having mm -hmm. to figure out a solution around a problem it'd be so much easier to handle with money mm -hmm. um and just to jump in on that with the the this pyramid and this kind of this discussion what you're pointing out is based off of how this hierarchy exists you need the one before it to progress mm -hmm. to the next one there is no equal ground. You have to basically move up this pyramid. And that's like our discussion last week was talking about the road 
And in the road, if we use this hierarchy, we could only meet the love and belonging level because it's this leveling up. But I think that after we've discussed this, I think there are elements of that self-actualization, you know, other things in there. So I just wanted to toss in there that as per the definition of this hierarchy, you have to move up. So that really, like when I read that one, when you were sending me your notes, I was like, ooh, that seems problematic. <laughs> right? Just a couple more questions along the same lines. Is property a more basic need than friendship, family, or sexual intimacy? And does sex always precede sexual intimacy? According to the pyramid, they would. Mm -hmm. um, not only this, like the logic just doesn't make sense. There's really strong evidence that suggests that he was strongly influenced by his time with, and forgive me if I say this wrong, Siksika, also known as the Blackfoot people in the USA. And he took their knowledge, contorted it, and then profited from it without ever acknowledging their contribution. Yikes. Yeah, indeed. And from my understanding, um, the Siksika actually believed, more, and though they don't have a word for self-actualization in their indigenous language, but they believed that they were born with self-actualization, that you were born who you were meant to be at birth, and it's not something to be achieved, it's innate. Dr. Cindy Blackstock, who is a First Nations member and a researcher, she used a, another pyramid to help those familiar with Maslow's work comprehend uh, the Blackfoot and similar indigenous groups view a bit more and said that their beliefs were more like the bottom level is self-actualization. And then the second level is community actualization. So you are who you are and you use that to help the company or the company. <laughs> you use that to help the community become more of what the community is supposed to be. And then the top level is then cultural perpetuity. And I interpret that as being like their way of life stays pretty solid and continues to grow and develop and carry on through the generations. I didn't put this in the notes, but I think that she referenced something about how the the indigenous folks that she was working with and that she's a part of view that the current generation is influenced by the seven generations previous to it. And that generation will influence the seven generations following. And that's a really important mm -hmm. part of their view of needs in the world, because you're not only attending to yourself, you're not only attending to your community, you're attending to both the honoring of the past who have contributed to you and the, and the honoring of the future and what you will contribute to them. Yeah, definitely. And that's, it's interesting thinking about the history of how these, this hierarchy of needs came to be, because you basically took two cultures and you had just a mass in misinterpretation. And I, I looked up, um, Abraham Maslow, who's the, the creator of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It, was around the 1950s or so. Psychology is this blooming field around that time and it just continues to grow. But it's a, it was a, an attempt at making a culture, cultural belief into a rigid hierarchy structure because hierarchies are a really big thing in the scientific community within the 1800s and 1900s. They want to be able to categorize everything and put it in this, which is better and which is worse group. So it's really interesting to know where it came from and how it was misinterpreted. And I can, I think you can see in his interpretation how the 
cultural value of hyper independence really Mm -hmm. shows Mm -hmm. up in the Maslow's hierarchy. Definitely. Because even in the middle, when you talk about love and belonging, based off of what the definitions are, this is like my connection to others, but it's not my impact to the community. It's, It's all me. It's all about me. And I don't, I I like that the origination or like where this came from the Blackfoot people, that is very community centric. And it's very focused on how will what I do today impact seven generations down the road. Yeah. Because unlike Western culture at the time, by at the time, I mean like for about the 200 (laughs) years surrounding our invasion of the Americas, they really didn't have a lot of opportunity or or reason or desire to up and leave their community the way that um, Europeans could mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. did. The people that they lived with were the people they were going to live with their entire lives. So it was very important to their personal needs that the community needs were also met. Definitely, definitely. But yeah, Maslow's uh, pyramid, it fails to take into account the individual in the context of the community and it is and because of that we talk about the hyper independence it also assumes that humans are driven by some level of greed until they possibly like overcome once their basic needs are cared for which parents will go hungry in in favor of their children which means they're choosing Mm -hmm. love and belonging over physiological needs and if you think about the number of people who pursue awards accolades grades that esteem level over food and sleep this it just continues to not line up yeah and the amount of people who will protest stand up against injustices regardless of their own base level needs uh, mm-hmm. you know, people will go on hunger strikes. People will do F X, Y, Z like that obviously fails to meet this pyramid. So when you're talking about these big concepts of people that are looking outside of themselves, it fails. And as a writer, I'm like, okay, but what works? So there's a bunch of alternative theories and I have a whole list. Like some theories are like, um, a- think that needs are acquired through one's experiences and that everyone is motivated by a different set of needs that tracks for our assumption that not everyone's needs are going to be the same because we've listed several options. I'm going to just list off the types for anyone who wants to research this more and then get into the one that I find the most useful. McClellan's human motivation theory, Alderfer's ERG theory, Herzberg's two-factor theory, Murray's system of needs, Desi and Ryan's self-determination theory. But my favorite is from Chilean economist Manfred Max Neef, who proposed that human needs are few, finite, and classifiable, as well as interrelated and interactive. So this theory rejects the hierarchy notion completely, and it instead focuses on a constellation of universal needs that are integrative and additive, which means that they are, they layer over top of each other and Mm -hmm. the effects of one need will affect the others. Mm -hmm. So he had, I think, what is it? Nine. And the needs he listed are idleness, which, and he like, which is relax subsistence, which is survive freedom, which is choose affection, which is love identity, which is belong protection, which is protect understanding which is understand creation create 
participation stand up. So is the fulfillment or lack of one need changes that affects the others, which means at times we'll be prioritizing whatever we need to get groceries at one point, but agonizing over the choice of words and dialogue on the page the day before. One of the other things I really like about the series that discuss how fulfilling one needs might have a cost to another need, which is the building blocks of a best bad choice or an irreconcilable. And then last year, it feels like forever ago and just yesterday, we had that mini conference with Jeff Elkins where we built gender maps and we shared our gender maps here on the podcast and what those look like. And it, it talks about how gender is more complex than just what we view as physiological sex or chromosomes and talks about all the different elements of gender. And I think that it would be far more representative of reality if we were to create a map of needs for our characters. And you had some really great examples of this. Yeah. So when I saw this and I was thinking of like, how can I tie theme in? Because this is where our conversation last week or two weeks ago spawned this conversation of how we need to throw Maslow out out the window. And it was, I I really like the concept of needs. And I think that there's a way to pull a theme out of a story by using needs and either using this as a pre-planning tool so that you know what your needs are as you progress through the story or as a post-planning and and as you're figuring out what your theme was meant to be. So when I looked at this using the road the three primary drives out of these nine and i just use three as an arbitrary number but i feel like three you can pull more definition out of so in the road that would be protection affection and subsistence so that would be uh, the need to protect the need to love and then the need to survive and in the road that's reflected when the man is protecting his child but is also preparing him for a life of survival when the man dies. Uh, and it's all about, you know, I just said it, like, you know, it's your survival, your protection, your love. Like that is the key and core component of that entire story. And then I'm like, okay, that's great. But what does it mean in a different story? So then I was like, okay, Handmaid's Tale, that's freedom, participation by means of standing up and protection. And so when I'm looking at it that way and I'm thinking of, okay, what's my theme sentence? You know, it's, we cannot protect the ones we love unless we stand up against our captors and fight for the freedom we deserve. And that to me captures what the handmaid's tale is about, at least the show on Hulu. Um, And I think that this is a way in which you can use these nine pillars to pick, you know, two, three of your like core what are you trying to say? What is your need of your character? What is the need of the story? And figure out what that theme is. Because to me, that's how you're going to be able to drive that story forward is when you know the very strong threads that you can pull on. My hope from this episode is for any listeners that when someone recommends that they look at Maslow's hierarchy as a helpful tool for building characters that they will have the same visceral reaction I do of that is not representative of humanity and therefore makes terrible characters. Yeah, I I didn't know this and now I do. And I think (laughs) too, now that I've realized it, like how could I write a character like Van Gogh if I needed to write a story about Van Gogh? He wouldn't be able to have base level needs, but yet he is highly self-actualized. He wouldn't fit this pyramid. Mm -hmm. So then do I just say, okay, he doesn't fit this pyramid. Well, this tool isn't good for me. These needs, I don't need to worry about. 
Or do we consider other options and say, okay, needs are important for our character development. Let's use a different tool that doesn't break every time we try to, you know, do a different fragile tool. (laughs) (laughs) It is. It was too fragile. When you pointed it out, I was like, that's why I didn't know how to use it. It's because it was too fragile. Yep. Do we have a question for our listeners this week, JP? Of course we do. How do you develop your characters in terms of wants and needs? And do you use any other methods that we may not have mentioned here? Excellent. Thank you so much for joining us again this week. If what we share has been helpful to you, I hope that you'll consider visiting our Patreon and helping us out. Your contributions help us pay for the hosting and the transcription of these episodes. We'll see you all next week. See you later. What are you going to share? You're leaning forward? No. Okay. I just rested my face on the microphone. <laughs> Listen to my cheek. <laughs>